Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode, I thought I would put it together because basically it's why are you still so heartbroken? Because I feel like for many people, you go through the heartbreak, you start doing all the initial things to feel better, initial things to feel better, and then you go down the depths of this dark valley of heartbreak again, and then you're trying to pull yourself up back down. And then it can be like six months down the track or a year down the track, and you're like, honestly, why am I not getting over this? I need to get over this. Or it could be less time, but you're just desperate to get over it so much faster, okay? So I already have a few episodes on heartbreak, but I think that it's a broad enough topic that there's definitely room for this episode and quite a few more, to be honest. There's, there's a lot of work that can be done. There's a lot of different headspaces you can get yourself into and a lot of different stages to pull yourself out of that pain that you're living through in a heartbreak. This is mainly going to be targeted at people that have been dumped, that don't have control over the situation, or where maybe you've, I mean, it's mainly targeted at that, where you've been kind of dumped or left by somebody and you didn't want that to happen, obviously. Or it could be in a situation where you might have done the breaking up, but it was due to actions that occurred that meant that you could just never be with that person again. Whether they lied to you in a way that you just don't have it in you to forgive them or you don't think you'll be able to trust them again, so you had to end it for those reasons. So it's kind of like something happened that was not in your control and now the relationship has ended. So it's that feeling of of not having any control, not having any power, feeling quite hurt and abandoned and in a lot of pain. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and I've got some seven, six tips and things to focus on that I want you to really, really dive deep into, focus on and turn fucking shit around, okay? Because I don't want you guys to be sitting at home wasting away your beautiful, precious time reliving the same thing again and again. I understand that the initial pain of feeling something and going through the motions is inevitable and that's not a waste of time. But I know for a fact that for so many of you, including myself in the past, it has been this perpetual cycle that you put yourself through and it feels like you have no control. But there is so much that's in your control after you hear this episode and you just go round and round and round in circles and you are ultimately unintentionally wasting beautiful days of your life, beautiful precious hours of your life where you could be doing something so much more productive, so much healthier, so much better um, for you, for yourself, okay? So it just I hate seeing people suffer in a way where they feel that they have no control, but there are things that you can do where you're going to feel like you have really gained the power back and it's very empowering, it's very exciting. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode and even if you take one of the six points away, things are going to get better faster than if you didn't, okay? So let's do this. First thing I'm going to do though is talk about a brain fact and the brain fact is going to be about heartbreak. To be honest... I don't know if I've spoken about this before, but it doesn't hurt. If I have spoken about this before, it would have been in the early days of the podcast and it doesn't hurt to reiterate this information again. But I just can't remember and there's so many apps out. So I'm going to talk about kind of the science of heartbreak as far as the brain is concerned, okay? So there's this part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. I've mentioned it in a bunch of different things. It's involved in a lot of processes, as are many parts of the brain. Very multifaceted, very um, dynamic thing the brain is, I must say. Anyway, this anterior cingulate cortex is a part of the brain that when we are in physical pain, that area of the brain is activated. It lights up. But 
What's really interesting is that same part of the brain is also going to light up when you have been dumped, when you have been abandoned by somebody, rejected by somebody. And also it's this social abandonment, social rejection, like what people feel when they're when they're pushed out of a group at school, that it's an awful pain when you've like left out and all your friends have turned their back on you and no one wants to talk to you or when you've been socially cancelled like on social media or something like that. It's that kind of pain. It's the same area that lights up in the brain of heartbreak, abandonment and physical pain, okay? To the extent that they've done all these like different, like there's been all these studies done and people in general report that they would rather be physically hurt then be heartbroken or be abandoned or excluded from a social group. So we're so, and this is a survival mechanism. It's this idea that you need your tribe, you need your community to survive. If you get completely rejected and if you have nobody and no bonds and no connections, you die, okay? The isolation is like the biggest torture for somebody. So we're so hardwired to uh, make the most of these connections that we stick to these emotional bonds so heavily and when we love someone and when there's no real um, like pressing reason as to why we should leave this person, as in like they might have a reason, but if you don't, then you are so wired to stick to that person that even when they dump you, you basically don't accept it and you keep going back to the past and you keep trying to get that person back in your life because abandonment and rejection is the worst kind of pain that you will do anything to kind of prevent that from happening or prevent it from going any further, okay? But then there's more layers to that. So that's one of the layers, the fact that we're wired for connection and the pain is the same as physical pain, if not worse sometimes for some people. But then there's also the neurochemicals that are at play here. So, of course, you've got cortisol, and I've spoken about cortisol, and the, which is the stress um, chemical, neurochemical hormone in the brain, and what cortisol does in the brain and how it affects the wiring and the circuitry of your brain. If you want to know about that one, go and listen to the episode, um, The Effects of Stress on the Brain, because I speak a lot about the specific effects that cortisol has. But when you are heartbroken or in under any stress, whether it's emotional or physical, your brain releases more, way more cortisol. And that cortisol is kind of staying there for prolonged periods of time. It's not acute release of cortisol, which is fine. That's when you're responding to you know, like a, a threat or you're responding to something that needs your attention and focus, that's when cortisol is good. But if you're having higher levels of cortisol in general, then you're getting things like bad anxiety, depression, you're not sleeping properly, your memory is getting affected, you're not performing your tasks well. So on top of the fact that you're really heartbroken and you're in pain, everything else feels like it's going downhill as well. You just don't feel like you're killing it in any area in your life because you've got this like chronically high levels of cortisol. And then, separate to all of that, um, when you're in love, let's look at what happens in the brain when you're in love. When you're in love, there's a lot of this reward circuitry behavior and, and, and motivated behaviors going on. So when you get a message from your someone that you love, when you get a call, it's like this triggering, this rewards, this release of dopamine, kind of the same as when you use social media or when you use a drug like cocaine, right? It, you're, you're playing on a similar pathway. Obviously, chemical mediators like a, a drug is going to be way more intense as far as how your brain reacts to it, but it is the same pathway. Um, so that's happening. You're getting all this release of dopamine and you're also getting a really good 
high levels of uh, oxytocin. And oxytocin is the bonding neurotransmitter. It's that bonding chemical. And you feel it with children. When you have a baby during childbirth, you feel it with, you know, when you have sex and you massively feel it when you give like a really good embrace, a really good hug. And if you're sleeping in the same bed with somebody that you love and you're spooning them and you're hugging them and you give them a kiss goodbye and hello, you're releasing that, like that bonding chemical is being released all the time and it feels good and it's neuroprotective and it's been linked to reducing feelings of pain whether it's physical or emotional, when you have more oxytocin. It helps with pain. So when you then get dumped, your reward circuitry is like, fuck, 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 I need that hit, I need that hit of dopamine, I'm not getting this, you know, this, um, you know, serve and return of this interaction that's, you know, I'm getting, I'm feeling rewarded and I'm feeling like motivated to continue these behaviours. So you're not getting that. You're then getting a deficit of what you normally get with oxytocin. So you actually legitimately go through withdrawals. Now, these withdrawals are not as strong, obviously, as withdrawals from a chemical drug because of how it performs and behaves in the brain. But it is a withdrawal that you are going through. And that is another reason why you, well, you, maybe you, hello, you right now who's listening to this, or you as in people in general, stalk your ex on social media because it is a an addictive pathway. You miss your ex. You have to see them. You have to see what they're doing. There's many reasons why we check up on them and I'm going to go into those reasons throughout this episode. But one of them is this addictive reward circuit in your brain and you're like, I need this hit, I need this hit. And when you're so heartbroken and when the pain is so fresh, even though it hurts to see them, it is satisfying that part of the brain that needs that hit of like, I miss this person, I have to see what they're doing. Even though after it, you feel awful for many reasons because that's kind of how part of the circuitry works, but also because you don't have them in your life. You didn't actually get them, you just saw what they're doing, but it's not the same interaction as you did when you were in a relationship. So it's this skewed, like flawed mechanism making you think that it's going to be beneficial to stalk them where you're getting nothing in return from that behavior. But that's why one of the reasons why we go and stalk them. And one of the best ways to kind of help that cortisol um, increase in the brain is by engaging in social support. So if you have a lot of social support around you, family, friends, and you're talking about it a lot, it's actually going to ease those intense levels of cortisol that are being released chronically all day long when you're feeling really heartbroken. You have to talk about it. Even if you sound like a broken record, that is lowering your cortisol levels. It's very important not to bottle it up Because when you bottle it up, you fester and the pain feels so hard and so difficult and so impossible to deal with. And it actually literally, from a neuroscience standpoint, as far as what's going on with the chemicals in your brain, it is so beneficial to share your pain with others and they can kind of help you through it. And then you get the bonding, they're hugging you, they're talking to you, they're being warm and affectionate. It is crucial that you hit up your social support network when you are heartbroken. And those that love you and care for you will put up with you sounding like a broken record, repeating the same thing again and again. They understand, and most people have been through heartbreak. Most people understand that you're going to be 
you know, saying the same shit, going over the same story repeatedly and they will put up with it because they love you but you have to share it and from a chemical standpoint, you are reducing the intensity of like that cortisol release in the brain, okay? Um, and also increasing a bit of, you know, the the oxytocin that, you, that you're that you missing out on, you're getting it through other areas as well. So social support, I can't, I cannot bang on hard enough about how important that is. And then the last little fact here is that the same kind of areas of the brain that are firing up when you are heartbroken are very similar, if not the same, as when you are grieving the loss of somebody. Um, obviously, different intensities are at play here, but it is the same areas. And for some people, it is literally like grieving a death when they lose a loved one who they adored and that person has said, we're not going to be together, goodbye, and exits their life forever. It is very, very um, jarring experience for that person um, and it makes them go through all those feelings of like abandonment, rejection, heartbreak, pain, loss, grieving. It's pretty intense. Um, and what's going on through the brain, you can just imagine like all these these withdrawals of the chemicals that feel good and an increase in the chemicals that feel bad. Anyway, let's now tap into these six points that I want to talk about and I want you to really think about each point, break it down and actually do the, like, do the fucking work for yourself. And if one point doesn't resonate with you, don't worry about it. Do the other point. You don't have to do them all. The more you do, the better, okay? But the reality of it is no matter how many episodes I've put up on heartbreak, of course, and naturally so, people still are like, yeah, listen to the episode, but why am I still suffering so much? And like, how do I, like, I just am not really getting over it or, or why am I getting so stuck? And I want to kind of start to answer why it is that you're getting so stuck and why you feel like you're such a victim to your thoughts and you're a victim to your pain that you're going through. And why do we get stuck in our ways of this kind of circuits and habits that we get into when we become heartbroken and why can't we move past this? So I'm going to be answering a lot of that through these points that I talk about. Okay, let's get started. There, is, there are six points and we're going to bang through them. Number one, you have to address your cravings to relive the past. Why do we do it? Like I said, there's a few different reasons of why we do it. But basically, there is that withdrawal and that um, kind of giving into your cravings and every time you – it's like that reward circuitry. And if you listen to the dopamine episode, I talk about positive ways to increase your dopamine and negative ways to increase your dopamine as far as like unhelpful ways of increasing your dopamine. If you jump on social media – and you feel, oh, it feels good when I'm on here because I'm getting this reward. The moment you jump off, it doesn't feel that great. If anything, you're less motivated because you've had a spike and a drop, okay? When you are about to check your ex's um, social media, you're going to get that spike before you see anything. It's this anticipation of the behavior. That's when dopamine is released. It's not so much released, well, it kind of is, but nowhere near as much as when you're anticipating it's about to happen, because it makes you more willing to do something. So if you're about to, if you're grabbing your phone and you're about to check, you're getting this feel of dopamine, which doesn't necessarily make you feel blissful or, or elated, but it's that thing that's like, do it, do it, do it, do it. I'm excited. I'm going to do it. I'm excited. The adrenaline's there. It's like, it's happening. Okay. So you get that spike. And then when you check it, and then not only have you already checked it and it's not one of the beneficial ways of, of raising up your dopamine, but you've also engaged in this kind of addictive circuitry pathway that you have with this compulsive behavior. And then on top of that, you 
are then going to have that dip below baseline of your dopamine levels, which is already dipped below baseline because you're sad. So you've literally just gone and done a behavior, gotten a little burst of feeling good, and then immediately after you feel absolutely awful, okay? Now, you have to the what the aim here is that you have to remove as much from the past as possible. Okay? We have this disproportionate attachment to the things that don't serve us. It's destructive, it's not helpful, it holds us back and it's not even helpful in the moment. It's not even fucking helpful in the moment, okay? It's not like even eating a lollipop that tastes good in the moment but then you're like, "Did I really need it?" This is even way worse than that, right? If you always try and pacify those intense moments by giving into cravings, that pull is never going to leave you. That heartbreak is going to keep persisting and persisting and persisting. So when you stalk them or their social media, and if you don't want to call it stalking, when you're checking up on your ex's social media, you are giving into a craving. That is what's happening. So from a scientific standpoint, that is what you're doing, okay? There is no excuse. There is no excuse. You have to cut out as many cues as possible, visual cues, any memory cues. Do not listen to songs that you used to listen to together. Stop it immediately. Find a brand new playlist of songs that you've never even listened to when you were in a relationship. Create a new playlist, a fresh one. Get a friend to send you one if you want. I don't care. Stop reminding yourself of things. This is going to go a long, 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 long way in starting to recover. But the first thing is is get rid of those cues. If you've got photos with your ex around you, at the very least, hide them so you can't access them. Ideally, throw away and delete. Why are we so obsessed with digging up painful memories of the past? The only thing you've got right now is right here, right now, okay? And it baffles me, and I've done it too. I I also baffle myself, don't get me wrong. I fucking surprise myself with this shit that I've done in my past to like dig myself deeper into a hole. But it baffles me that we are so hell-bent on making our present moment painful by bringing up shit from the past. It's outrageous, but we do it, and we have a compulsion to do it. So you need to actively set it up in a way that it's harder for you to access these images, content, photos, songs, and memories, okay? Get rid and stop trying to reason with the fucking devil, okay? You don't need the answers you think you do. Okay, a lot of the time when you're checking up on your ex, you're trying to find an answer. You're trying to find reassurance of something. And often you're trying to find reassurance that what you had was real, that, you know, when I used to see them, I felt good. So now I'm going to look at stuff from them. So then I feel good. You're trying to check in to see if they've moved on. And if they haven't moved on, you get that miniature reassurance being like, maybe they're not happy or they haven't posted anything yet. So maybe they actually do miss me because they're not posting on their stories. All the, You're trying to find information that doesn't actually exist because you don't live in your ex's head. You don't know what's going on in that person's mind. They could actually be in pain or they could have moved on well before you even broke up and you don't even know about it, as fucked as that is. But what I'm saying is you don't have control. So stop trying to harness this fake control. Now, another interesting thing is that checking up on your ex and reliving the past through all these, you know, like tools of social media and photos of all of that is actually very heavily linked to lower levels of personal growth because it keeps you stagnant and it puts your life or your day on hold. 
and you're less likely to be thinking about what you can be doing right now today or your growth or what you can be doing for your future self. And it keeps you stuck in the past, being hopeful that that person's going to come back or hopeful that that person is suffering as much as you are, but you're not growing. You're actually going, if anything, backwards because the feelings that you're feeling and the neurochemicals that are floating through your brain when you're checking up on an ex are all bad news. It's all bad news. None of it serves you. None of it is good, okay? So at no point, under any circumstance, would I ever recommend or say that it's helpful to check in on your ex. Stop that behavior right now. Block them from your Instagram if need be, even if it's only temporary. I don't care. Put parameters in place to protect yourself. Now, additionally to all of that, if you're somebody that posts things on your story that's trying to send a message to your ex, like it's funny how people can so quickly get over like this, you know, where it's so obvious that it's targeted to an ex, but you think it's really subtle and it's this like stab at somebody, obviously your ex, or if you're putting up a photo where you're trying to bait your ex into thinking something, that behavior where you're doing something to get a reaction from your ex or to send a subtle, quote unquote subtle message to your ex, that behavior actually raises your levels of stress and anxiety a lot higher because as well as this behavior of trying to accidentally bump into them because you're anticipating drama, you're anticipating this something that's going to cause a huge adrenaline rush. But when it's all negative, that adrenaline rush is linked with your already high levels of cortisol and you're just going to feel so stressed, so anxious, and then likely more depressed because of that. Okay. Now, one of the reasons that we hold on to the past, like I said before, is for clues, for hope, for reassurance that something was real. And if you're really hurt, you also look back on these old messages to get confirmation that it was, in fact, a real loving relationship. Sometimes you think, oh my God, maybe they didn't love me. And then you go back and read all the messages and you're like, no, see, they do love me. They are going to come back. If they didn't love me, they wouldn't have said that. Again, very destructive, but that's why we do it, okay? It strengthens um, our connection to our ex and it gives us strength in the moment to want to reach out to them or to have to hold on to hope or to really manifest that they're going to come back into our lives. But it's just never a good idea, okay? Now, if you're somebody that can absolutely not cut your ex out of your life, say you have children together, for example, then you need to create a structure where you only interact with them on a need-to-know basis, okay? It's definitely a lot harder to do so, but there are things you can do. You should never be asking your children questions about what it is that your ex is doing. Fucking difficult, I would understand that, but that is a no-go zone. Stop prying, stop trying to find information. I know it's so difficult not to, but it is no longer your life. It's no longer your business. And even if, fuck the ex, even if it's not about them, for your sake, every time you engage in a behavior that pries into your ex's life, you hold back your own growth. If anything, you pull it backwards, okay? Just remind yourself of that every time. Do I want growth or do I want the the three seconds of joy and then fucking pain for the rest of the day and then backwards in my personal growth. Don't let your need for reassurance to be stronger than your need to recover, okay? Always play it, like always weigh it up. Reassurance or my recovery? Reassurance or my recovery from heartbreak? Always ask yourself that question when you're in that moment of truth, are you going to do it or not? Okay, next one, number two. Identify when you are going to actually recover. If you have hope that your relationship is going to start up again, then you all then you 
cannot be wanting to recover from this heartbreak. They cannot coincide. They cannot live together, those two wants. Want to get back is going to prolong you even trying to recover because recovering is a whole different ballgame. The actions that you have to do are completely different. Wanting someone back is going to keep you living in the past and they might come back. That's a possibility, but I wouldn't fucking hold my breath, okay, because like I said, you don't have control over what that person does or says. And if they've dumped you, I'd fucking probably take that as a strong, fat fucking no if they've ended the relationship. And if you keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, end it. End it, okay? Just fucking end it. Do yourself a big service and end it. So you have to make a decision of am I going to recover or not? And when you make the call to recover, I'm not imagining that you're going to instantly feel better. Not at all. You can be heartbroken. You can be in so much pain, but still acknowledge that the relationship is over. And not only is it done and over, but it's not for you as well. So you can acknowledge this is over. It's over for a reason because it's not for me. It's for You can mention all the reasons why it's not for you. Maybe you weren't treated properly. Maybe it just was never didn't have a future. They would always lie to you or for other reasons or simply that they don't love you and you'd rather be in a relationship where you are loved than not, obviously. Um you can still be heartbroken. So don't think that by accepting, okay, I'm, I'm going to start recovering, that you have to be in a position where you feel good. Not at all. You can feel fucking shit, so heartbroken, but be in a position where you are willing to say, I am done hoping. Hope is a weak dog when it comes to your ex and I'm going to recover. I am acknowledging this as finished, fucking finished, okay? Then you go through the actual pain. Then you can go through the motions and you can come out of it way quicker than being in denial, than denying reality, okay? Number three, learn to differentiate distractions versus growing away from, okay? So distractions are a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying never distract yourself. Distractions are a tool, but not not a cure, okay? So distractions are a really good thing to use in the moment when things are so intense that it's so overwhelming and there's absolutely nothing you can do where, you know, you, uh, you can't think, you can't talk, the tears are welling in your eyes, you just don't, you just, it's too much to handle. That's when I would recommend you doing a distracting task and that could be anything. For me, weirdly, I would go on like play solitaire on my phone and I could spend hours. It was actually quite scary. I checked the stats once and I'd spent, I couldn't even tell you, but obscene amounts of hours playing fucking solitaire in my heartbreak because it was something that I was distracted in a task that was doing, that I was doing. And it kind of helped me get me out of those like deep, dark moments. Okay. And distractions work. They fucking work as a tool in the moment, but they don't work as a long-term thing because you're then going to keep dipping down, up, dipping down, up. And it actually doesn't do anything to pull you out of it because the only thing that can pull you out of a heartbreak is new life experiences and growth. Okay. So that brings in the next thing is the idea of growing away from your last relationship. And what that is doing is you are putting emotional distance between you and your ex. Okay. So anything that's a change is creating this emotional distance. And it's so crucial and so important that you do that. So, for example, change of a routine, a big change in your circumstances, um, starting a new skill, starting a new job, um, 
hanging out with a certain group of friends that you haven't hung out with in a while or creating new groups of friends. Something so simple as change, like you know this idea that when you go through a heart, I've spoken about this before, when you go through a heartbreak and you just dye your hair or cut your hair or get some bangs or whatever, there's actually a science behind that. It's this, you're, you're putting distance as far as experiences and things that you've done and emotion between you and the ex-relationship. So I'm all for dyeing your hair when you go through a breakup as it's one of the tools, not the tool, obviously it's not going to cure anything, but it's one of the tools that helps you think this is the new me. This is a new stage in my life. I'm drawing the line in the sand by changing this about my look or my style or my appearance. It's something exciting for me. It's actually quite beneficial to do that. You might want to sell your car and get a new one. You might want to change your jobs, move apartments, whatever it is to create a doesn't again do not be that extreme if you don't want to but anything that's creating that emotional distance for me it was buying a one-way ticket to Paris but you don't have to be that excessive like I can be a bit extra at times okay but the aim is to put real emotional experiences between you and the relationship all the while not revisiting the past with that ex. If you're doing all this growth work during the day, nine to five, doing all this growth work, and then you're topping the evening off with this lovely Instagram stalk of your ex, I'm here to tell you that all that work was in vain, wasting your time. You want distance between you and the ex. You want distance between you and those memories of the past. They exist in your head. You don't have to fucking go digging and looking at photos to make that memory fresher than it already is. Stop. There's already a lot that's not in your control. You can't control seeing them on the streets. But for the most part, you can control seeing them on social media, right? You can unfollow them, mute them, delete them. There's no kind of in-between. If you want to be friends with your ex, fine. But you cannot be friends while you're still grieving. I don't believe that that's possible. I'm pretty pretty adamant about the fact that that's not possible. You need some cooling off period. You need a good cooling off period, okay? And this idea of friends when you're still hurting, it's a bit of a joke because you're only hurting yourself and if they're the ones that dumped you, it's going to be a lot easier for them because they had the control and they still hold that control, okay? So don't be friends with the source of your pain. And this is why. If the person was an asshole and that's and they ended up breaking your heart and leaving you, why are you still friends with them? You are telling yourself that that is your worth. If the person was a sweetheart and now you want to be friends with them because they're so lovely, you're going to be in so much more pain because you're going to keep reminding yourself of what you missed out on and you're never going to get something as good and you're going to be in this constant comparison. So whether they're good or they're bad, it doesn't serve you. Just, just, just fucking cut the dead weight, okay? Cut the fucking dead weight. So the important takeaway from point three is grow away from with new emotional experiences. Do whatever you can. Do I don't care if it's the most – join a roller derby team if you want, okay? Get random, get creative. Start being social with friends that you haven't seen in a while. Ideally, friends that either are new or – I mean – Always say your, your, your circle of friends. But if you're trying to shake things up, hit up a friend that you haven't seen since even before you started dating this person. Or if the last holiday you went on was with your ex, go on a new holiday with some friends so that way your freshest memory of a holiday is with your friends. And then when there's a bit of time in between, what I've done is, for example, I would go to Bali with my ex and then all my memories of Bali were my ex. And since then, I've gone to Bali twice with my girlfriends. And so now, of course, every memory, I'd say 95% of my memories from Bali are with my girlfriends because they're the, the fresher memories. And I had like a lot of fun and we did all this stuff. So now I rarely revert back to the memories of the ones with their ex unless it's relevant to a conversation. Next one, number four, revenge is a waste of time. Okay. 
if it keeps you suffering. And a lot of the time, revenge or this need for revenge is achieving more of the opposite, okay? This need to inflict pain or jealousy on someone else is just a representation of the pain that you're willing to inflict on yourself, okay? So even if this action of revenge didn't hurt you, then you got to ask yourself, who am I, what, what lesson am I trying to teach here? What, do, do you really think that your ex is going to learn a lesson from you through your actions of quote-unquote revenge? Do you think someone's going to learn a lesson from their scorned and angry ex? Because I can assure you right now, they won't learn a lesson. You're not going to be the one that teaches them the lesson. I can, I can guarantee you that. Okay, I'll tell you that for free. Especially when emotions are so high, such as anger and resentment at the forefront. So you're doing things like trying to get revenge. And this idea, I don't even like the idea of the best revenge is to be your best self. No, no, it's not. Okay. And the reason for that is, A, fuck what your, like, fuck what your ex thinks about you after it's over. You don't have to be your best self or you don't have to be anything. You just have to move on in a timely way that serves you in a healthy way. A lot of the time, this, the best revenge is you living your best self, is the cause for a lot of fake social media posts, you pretending that you're better when you're not, you not reaching out for help when you need it because you're putting on this fucking facade to get this revenge that I'm now killing it in my life. Fuck, fuck the living your best life. Why don't you live a healthy life and try and actually do go through the motions and get over it? You know, go, go a little bit quiet if you want on your social media and whatever. The other problem with this best revenge is to, to you know, to be killing it is that even if you are killing it, I don't want in your head to be that, that the ideal outcome is for your ex to see this. You, your ex shouldn't be relevant in this. If you're really succeeding and you're doing really well in your life, professionally or you're, you're looking really good, you've gotten really – whatever, if you're trying to then get your ex to see that and regret dumping you, then what's going on in your mind? Your ex. That's all you're thinking about, your ex. So even if your, your version of revenge is to make them regret dumping you, stop. Stop. You're trying to get a reaction from somebody who broke your heart. You're, tr- you're focusing on the overall outcome of having a reaction from somebody that's no longer in your life. You don't have to be living your best life. You don't have to make them jealous. They are irrelevant. You have to put as much distance between you and them and revenge is only going to hold you back even if you're trying to be living your best life, okay? Yeah, sure, go and live your best life if that's what you want for you. But I want you to do all these things imagining that your ex would never even see it. And if you knew that your ex would never see all these changes, would you still do them? Yes. Okay, then do them. But don't think that you've got to live all this high and mighty life just to create this false image that you're happy. Okay? Forget about that. Number five, get to know the new you, who you identify as, what is your actual identity, okay? Because a breakup strips you of many things. Yes, it strips you of the partner that you had or the partner that you thought was there forever, but it, it strips you of a lot and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's going to strip you of your reality of what you thought was your life, uh, your partner, obviously, your ideas for your future, what you thought was in the near future and the, and the kind of medium to near future, your sense of comfort, it's stripped you of that for sure. 
uh, probably your routines and what you would do on a week-to-week basis. And for many of us, it strips you of your sense of self because when, when you are in love with somebody, they become part of your identity. Whether you want to or not, you really identify as them being part of your life, which is kind of normal. That's the same when you have children, right? So when this happens and when that person just vanishes out of your life, you need to do a bit of a restructure on who you are and get to know yourself again. It's really important that you gently and kindly get to know yourself again and stop identifying as someone who is heartbroken or someone who was with this person. They're no longer part of your identity and you need to grieve that and build your identity as who you are again, okay? You can't just ignore it. You can't just brush it under the carpet, okay? Because you've got this identity, right? And then now all of a sudden there's voids within what you thought, who you thought you were. This this routine's not like that anymore. That cafe that you used to always go to isn't like that anymore. The person that sleeps with you, like next to you in the bed, no longer there. That person in general, gone. So you're feeling all these voids in your life, right? But where there's valleys, there's also mountains. If there's darkness, there's also light, okay? And if you don't fill these voids with new experiences of growth, then it remains a void. And that void is there, ripe to be filled with toxic behaviors, okay? You have to actively fill in that new void with new ways of how you identify yourself or what you identify yourself as or who you are as a person, okay? Otherwise, it's going to be filled with always being stuck in the past, doing toxic behaviours, trying to do all these weird things to get your ex back into your life, um, whatever it is. But if you don't actively do something with this new void and fill it up with the new version of you, then it's not going to go away. That void will stay that way and it's going to be filled with things that you don't have control over because you haven't actively done something to change it, okay? You want to have this idea of, you know, out with the old, in with the new. You want to focus on that all the time. When, when something changes like that in your life, out with the old, in with the new. And you ask yourself, what are you going to fill those gaps in with? Because if you leave it to chance, it's, it's going to be, like I said, all these, all these, you know, like reliving the past kind of shit, okay? Or pacifying yourself and letting time pass you by and wasting beautiful days, months, maybe for some even years of your life because you've decided to fill that void with whatever slots in there and you haven't actively done that, okay? A really good thing to do is to fill in that void with love that already exists within your life but increase that love, okay? A lot of the time we think, you know, I I don't feel loved anymore because that person's abandoned me, but love is actually, for most people in this world, is all around you in different relationships, you know? So this is where it also helps to lean into your social circles, not just for, you know, the oxytocin bonding and whatever, but to remind yourself of what a true example of love is. You know, be around people that are always really supportive or fun or there for you or someone that's always, you know, spontaneous or whatever. One thing that I also really do is I always find really strong examples of love and hold that example of love as as the standard for myself. So for example, I always look at, looked at my grandparents, they've passed away now, but my grandparents as the example for love. They were so in love. Their whole life, they were so fucking in love right till the very end, okay? And when I would be really, really heartbroken, one of the things that would actually help me was to ask myself that instead of getting angry that I didn't have that romantic love, I would instead think that couldn't have been the love for me because I have this standard of love and – In my version of true love, 
you don't just cut someone out of your life and walk away. So that obviously wasn't the love for me. I'm not angry. I'm not saying that they did the wrong thing, but that's obviously not the love for me. If the lo- if the standard of love I'm holding is two people always working at things together, always being in love to the very end because they're, they're always passionate about the journey that they're going through. And if that didn't happen for me, then I'm thinking, well, it's not the worst thing in the world because it's not to, it's not the kind of love that I even wanted as heartbroken as I am. So I think if someone's just going to like leave me, come back, leave me, not really care, not text me back, how is that the love that's going to last me for the rest of my life? It's probably not, right? So yes, I can grieve it and yes, I can be sad, but I can also take away, I've got all these great examples of love around me that keeps me calm thinking, you know, I'm chilled. And I think when it comes to romantic love, you should have an all or nothing approach, okay? It should be a beautiful fucking love, a love for the ages or nothing. And you can just chill and like have casual sex and fuck around and, you know, date for fun. But to be in this intense relationship where it's not your ideal version of love, and mind you, if you've just been dumped, then it's not your ideal version of love. I know you think it is, but it's not because they didn't reciprocate what you felt. So that is not the ideal version of love. Obviously, to me, an ideal version of love is for someone to love me the way I love them. So if it's not that, then why are you going to be crawling back for like the crumbs of the relationship from your ex? No. So always have that idea of what is my ideal love and how can I find representations of that love around me? And it's actually beneficial. It's not going to make you feel like you're not focusing on lack. You're focusing on abundance of beautiful love examples around you. Lean on the other loves in your life, your friends, your best friends, your siblings, cousins, aunties, uncles, parents. Lean on those other loves in your life. Don't crawl to these stale breadcrumbs on the floor that your ex has left behind, okay? You've got a lot of love in your life. Identify that love and realize what love you will have in your life and what you won't have in your life. And the most important one is obviously how you treat yourself, your self-love. The more you engage in these behaviors of trying to pull your ex back into your life when they don't want you, it's hurting your growth. It's hurting your relationship with yourself, okay? One of the best things you can do for self-love is to acknowledge when something is dead in the water, okay? That is one of the biggest steps you can take in your journey of self-love to be like, that person didn't love me, but that just indicates how they felt within themselves. It has nothing to do with me as a person, and I acknowledge that. And if and also a really good always put things into perspective. Try, it's really easy to take a heartbreak personal, obviously, because the relationship was personal. But when someone breaks up with you, most of the time it's because it wasn't working for them. Okay, it's like this idea: like I know so many beautiful people, but I wouldn't date them. Like I love so many of my guy friends, but I wouldn't date them. And that's what I mean when it says it's not personal to them. I'm not saying you're not worth dating. I'm saying I don't feel like I would want to date you in that way. You know what I mean? So always look at that as reciprocated toward you. It's not a personal attack at you. It's more so personal for them knowing that the relationship with you didn't serve them. Which is another reason why I think trying to get revenge on an ex isn't really worth it because – a lot, not always, and I can, uh, for sure not always, but a lot of the time in a breakup, it feels malicious, but it might not have been. Maybe they didn't go about it the best way, but maybe they just didn't know how to communicate and they were just trying to say, I, this isn't serving me and I don't love you and I don't know how to tell you that. But that's really all going on in their head, 
right? So right now I want you to look at all the voids that are in your life of like, okay, this routine is a void, this here is a void, this here, and ask yourself actively, how am I going to replace those voids in an active way, not a distraction, but a growth way? How am I going to grow out of this? How am I, what am I going to learn? What experiences am I going to put into these voids? You know, you have to, what love am I going to be replacing it with? And make it a genuine love. Don't like bounce into a rebound, ideally. Um, make it, you know, the, your friends around you, your family around you. You're filling the void with really rich and healthy experiences and encounters and opportunities. All right? But make it a conscious decision. You are deciding this. You are taking the power and making a decision about this. Now, the last one, number six, is focus on what's going to make you happy today. I know that sounds really basic and simple, but um, what I mean is, yes, a lot of the growth that you're going to be working on if you're doing point two and three is going to be like, okay, I'm going to change this job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. Do. That's all well and good. But if all your focus is on the future and how it's going to change and how am I going to feel in the future, who's going to come into my life then, what's next, what's next, what's next? then you're never going to be working on your actual happiness because your actual happiness can only exist today, right? And then if it's always in the future, it's never really going to be here. So your goal every day is to do is to wake up in the morning and ask yourself, what can I do today that's going to make me truly happy, even if it's just for 20 seconds, okay? Something that's going to make me laugh or be happy. Is it someone that you know in your life that always makes you laugh, that you can maybe call them or hang out with them and they they're those people that just bring the fucking vibes. Is there someone like that? Is there an animal that you can play with for a bit where you genuinely bask in happiness with, with a dog or a cat, whatever, any animal that you adore? You know, is there any video that you have saved a, f- a friend or, a re- or someone that you love doing something hysterical that literally makes you laugh out loud? Ask yourself, what can I do today? no matter how small, that I'm actually going to feel a surge of true happiness. And when you get one moment of that, you can turn it into two. And when you get two, you can turn it into five. And this is actually this is actually something that I recommend everybody does. Not even – like there are people that are not remotely heartbroken that just aren't focusing on experiencing happiness right here, right now. That's what I want you to do. And it's so doable because you just focus on really simple things and then you realize that it's actually those tiny, tiny things all put together, all like that amass, amass, amass that make you a happy person. It's these interactions. It's these funny memories. It's these anecdotes. It's, you know, that is what truly makes somebody happy. Okay. And then all the other bigger things are actually the little cherries on top. It's not the other way around. We think that if I get this career, if I do that, that's the true happiness and all these other little moments are the cherries on top. No, they're not. It's the other way around. So focus on the moments hour to hour. Start the first week of finding one thing that's going to make you feel elated, even for a little bit of time every single week, and then make it two things a day and then three things a day. And you keep building on that. That's going to elevate your mood. That's going to lower your cortisol. It's going to make you feel more connected. It's going to make you feel more willing to fill in those voids that I was just talking about in the last point with positive beneficial things for you and your future self as well. Okay. Now that's pretty much the episode for today, but I did want to remind you of one, it's kind of point seven, but this is a point that I've already spoken about in an old, old, old episode. And, but I think it's important to remind you guys. So kind of set point seven is that I want you to engage. I want you to engage in negative reappraisal whenever you cannot avoid thinking about your ex. So that's a negative thought or a reminder of something that you didn't like about your ex. So if your brain, boom, 
reminds you of something good about your ex and you'll be like, oh, you thought of something good? That's cute. Allow me to remind you of the time that they spoke to me like this. Allow me to remind you of the time that they that I got the ick from them when they did this thing and I was like, ugh, God, I hated when you used to do that. Allow me of the time that they used to annoyingly chew in, in my ear. Like all, whatever, it could be tiny or big, anything that turned you off or anything that you actually hated or anything that was ugly about their personality bang, put it in the forefront. For every one positive thing, cancel it out with three shitty things about them. Negative reappraisal is a great way to instantly feel annoyed, get the ick and be like, oh, and then think about something else. Okay. So always when you're trying to get over an ex, stop like fluffing them up to me. Oh my God, I'll never get anyone like them. Instead go bang. I hated this about you. Bang. That was so average. Oh, boring, boring, boring. You're a dud. Okay. And it kind of actually makes you feel a little bit lighthearted in that moment. It's not saying that they're a horrible person or a dud, but it's kind of pulling the scales back in your favor because what we do in a heartbreak is that we'll overestimate how good they were for us and we'll overestimate how incredible they were that we'll never get anyone like them. And this just helps tip it back into reality. There were good and there were bad things, okay? And I need to focus on the bad if I'm going to be bringing up the good as well, okay? I recommend you don't do that with people that you are currently dating. Uh, Not helpful. If you're currently dating someone and you think of one bad thing, then I want you to positively appraise them and think of three good things to cancel out the bad and that's what's going to strengthen a relationship. But when you're trying to sever ties, you do it in reverse. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Just even if you take one thing from this episode, I hope that it is helpful for you. I think it will be. If your friend is going through a heartbreak, share this. Listen to this again if you need to, but do at least one, if not all of the points. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, my beautiful beans. You guys are the best. Keep sharing it. Keep keep um, telling people about the episodes, tagging me in it. I love it when you guys tag me in. I get so excited. But as always, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially, do not take shit from yourself. Danke.